Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's not often that I talk about mixed martial arts and boxing in my sermons, but I remember this event quite vividly, and perhaps you do too. There was so much media hype around the match that I even found a way to watch it, maybe illegally on YouTube. Forgive me for that. It was August 26, 2017, MMA fighter Conor McGregor crossed over into the boxing world to box Floyd Mayweather Jr. You may remember that. Anybody remember that match? Uh-huh. Come on. It's ch- I know it's church. You can admit to watch it, Pastor. Thank you. All right. Conor McGregor, 29 years old, was bigger and younger than Floyd Mayweather Jr., 40 years old at the time. And while both of them were making some pretty bold claims, I distinctly remember the rhetoric of Conor McGregor. He made some bold assertions, bold claims, filled with arrogance, pride, overconfidence. He predicted the outcome of the fight. Check out this video. Now I've been fighting my whole uh, life, so... It's just another day for me, another, another day, another fight. I've already whooped one of the, one of the, box, the faces of boxing. I'm going to whoop another, uh, August 26th. I believe he'll be unconscious inside one round. All right. Let me translate that from Irish to American English. <laughs> he said, I already whooped one boxer. I'm going to whoop another. I believe he will be unconscious inside one round. Pretty bold claim. In fact, he continues on to put down Mayweather, and he said that all Mayweather is doing is praying. He's praying to the new god of boxing. Pretty arrogant, bold claim. But we live in a society that is packed with people who make some pretty bold claims. We see our athletes doing it all the time. We see it in product advertising all the time. This product promises you wealth, fame, and popularity. It will be yours if you buy X, Y, or Z. Yes, I did buy the Bosley shampoo, and I'm still bald. (laughs) A televised sports contest is the biggest game of the year. Make it the decade, at least until next week's game, right? Politicians, whether you're red or blue or whatever in between, they make these bold promises that are often empty. Maybe go back in our history. Does this sound familiar? Read my lips. No new taxes. I will close Guantanamo in one year. Bold but empty claims. So how did it end up for Conor McGregor? I don't know if you remember the fight, but he ended up losing. The older and smaller Mayweather knocked him out in the 10th round, T-K-O. Overpromising and under-delivering. A few years ago in my life group, we were talking about this very thing, about how our culture sort of influences us, that we live in this culture where we are bombarded by bold and empty, arrogant claims. And we talked about how perhaps this makes us a little bit numb, maybe suspicious of any authoritative, bold assertion. We hear the people assert these things, but we don't really expect them to back it up. And in the end, I think this is kind of a huge detriment to our society because it sort of distorts and deflates the power of words, the power of promises, and the very integrity of our society. And I think that at least it makes us very, very 
suspicious of bold claims. So what are we to do with our text today? Because I don't know if you saw it. Jesus made a pretty bold claim. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Not Floyd Mayweather Jr., not Conor McGregor, but the world. That's a pretty bold claim. And I don't know, I've never really saw this before, but it's so bold that he's put it in the past tense. Not I will, but I have. And he said these words before he died, before he rose from the grave, before he ascended to the right hand of God the Father, before he sent the Holy Spirit, before he commissioned and sent the church out to do the work that we are doing right now, and before his promise at the end of time to come again. Not I will, but I have. He is claiming to beyond time itself. That's a bold claim. That's a bold statement. It makes Conor McGregor's look like nothing. We might be tempted to say, is Jesus' claim just a bunch of hype that never materializes? A bold but empty promise. I wonder if we ever place the skepticism The skepticism that we have with athletes and politicians and advertising and a lot of the hype in our culture, if we ever place that on Jesus, if deep down inside it affects us and we wonder, can we really trust Jesus? When he says, I have overcome the world, why? Why would we trust such a bold claim? I was taught that you would never, ever say anything like Conor McGregor, arrogantly predicting the future, that you're going to knock some guy out. I was taught that you let your actions speak for yourself, not your words. And eventually, then, year after year, decade after decade, if your actions are consistent, well, maybe your words, you might be able to say a few true things. And, by the way, speaking of actions, I'm grateful for all those who not only said that they said that they would sacrifice to protect our freedoms and the freedoms of others, but... They gave their lives doing so. We do that this Memorial Day weekend. We give thanks today. We remember all those who died while serving in our armed forces. We give thanks that their actions were consistent with their words. So can we trust Jesus at his words? Can we trust his bold claims? And I think that in finding an answer to a question like that, we have to go back in time. We have to go back to his first followers. Did the followers of Jesus actually trust his words? Did they trust his bold claims? You remember remember John the Baptist, right? I mean, he was there. He baptized Jesus. He heard the voice of the Father. This is my son whom I love. He saw the Holy Spirit descend like a dove. Yet things started to go troubling for him, and he was imprisoned. And in prison, he started to doubt. He started to wonder, can I trust Jesus? Doubts began to rise. He sent word to Jesus. Jesus' reply comes back, and he's reminded of Jesus' actions. Luke 7, verse 22. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is preached to the poor. John was reminded that Jesus' action and words have been consistent. We could fast forward to the apostles. How was it for them after the crucifixion? They probably entertained the thought, no, we can't trust his word. He's dead and he's in the tomb. But when he rose from the grave, it all changed. His actions fortified his words. Everything Jesus did matched everything he said. Everything he predicted came true. 
And so to the disciples, his words, they weren't just empty rhetoric. In fact, every one of the disciples of Jesus was either tortured or killed because they trusted in his bold claims that were backed by action. I'd argue that their trust from 2,000 years ago can guide and it can inform our trust in him. But I also think we can look at this a little bit more sophisticated. We can ask a little bit something more about Jesus and his bold claims and his actions because it has to do with motivation or the reason why he said these words. And it also has to do with the context and the reality that he describes. Because you see, many of the bold but empty claims that we hear in our society and our culture today, they come from motivations that are deeply distorted and are not rooted in reality. When we hear an athlete or a politician or some leader or even some everyday Joe Schmo make these bold and empty claims, they are often rooted in motivations of power, control, domination, which are really just manifestations of deeply distorted identities that are often serious insecurity issues. And that can manifest in marriages, it can manifest in families, it can manifest in workplaces, in churches, in societies and cultures, and the effects can be devastating. They can be quite troubling. But what are the motivations behind Jesus and his bold claim when he said, I have overcome the world? Did he say those words because he wanted the prize money from some ridiculously hyped up boxing match? Did he want his picture and fame to spread throughout Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth as being the most famous? Did he want everyone to know how much power he had? Did he want to make sure that everyone in the world would know that he would dominate them into submission? Did he want the profits from the advertising? Did he want to be the king of the world for status' sake? Was his bold claim an arrogant, self-centered, egotistical, power-hungry, insecure claim based in a distorted identity. If you look at the life of Jesus, if you know anything about Jesus, you know that the answer to every single one of those questions is no, 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 no. Because you see, Jesus' bold claim, it's preceded and it's surrounded by a deep concern and deep commitment from before the foundation of the world for those that he loves, for his disciples, for all who would follow him, for every human being created in the image of God. His motives are not selfish. They are selfless. And you see his bold claim, his selfless claim, it's prefaced by him telling us like it is. He's speaking reality into our lives. I mean, his claim has a reality to it that resonates with all of our experience because, you see, Jesus was speaking these words in John chapter 16. They were the very last words he would speak to his disciples before he was crucified. He says a time is coming and in fact has come when you will, you will be scattered. Eat to your own home. And you will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. And he says, I have told you these things so that in me, in me, you may have peace. Here it is. In this world, you 
will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus' motive in a bold claim like this is their peace, is our peace, not his own. And he tells it like it is. He gives us reality. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Raise your hand if you've ever experienced trouble in this world. Some of you are, you're in deep trouble right now. Some of you are in serious trouble. You're in troubling times right now. Sometimes we just need someone to tell us like it is, to be honest with us, to be transparent with us, to be real with us, and say, you will have trouble. And when we hear those words, it's almost freeing because those words are counter-cultural, maybe even counter-church at times. I know that in my own life, when I've been in the midst of troubling times and someone points me to these words of Jesus, that I'm going to have trouble, it's actually quite freeing. It can almost be gospel and grace to hear Jesus say to me, Michael, what are you thinking? This is to be expected. This is the way it is. And I was just reading Acts yesterday. I'm going through the book of Acts, and I saw Paul. Paul was preaching the gospel. All of a sudden, he's being stoned and dragged outside of the city, and they thought he was dead. In this world, you will have trouble. See, sometimes as Christians, we have been seduced by the notion that to be in Jesus Christ is to be free from all struggle, all persecution, all brokenness, all disease, tragedy, conflict, poverty, disillusionment, grief, and the list can go on and on, right? But when Jesus says that in me you may have peace, he's not talking about a shallow peace that is absent of trouble. He is saying that in him we may find peace in the midst of the troubles of our lives and in the midst of the storms of this life. You see, when he said those words, take heart, it's really have courage. He used those same exact words when the disciples were in the boat and there was that huge storm and it was raging and they thought that they were going to die and they thought that Jesus didn't care about them. Ever been in a storm like that? They were in trouble. And Jesus comes into the midst of the storm and he brings his peace. Now, when Jesus comes at the end of time, he will eradicate every storm. There will never be a storm again. But until that day, here and now, the storms will rage on. But Jesus is saying that in him, we can actually find peace. And I'm not talking about abstracts here. I mean, this very week. This very week, I sat in some pretty heavy storms with some of our St. John's family. Tragic and sudden death. Tumultuous family problems. Fractured relationships that seem beyond repair. But you know what? In the midst of the clouds of those storms, I saw the light of Jesus Christ shine through. I saw his peace come with his words, with his bold claims. And I'm going to tell you what, they were not empty rhetoric. They were backed up by action. 
And I saw Jesus show up and act through his people. His people are of all kinds. His people are everywhere. They are doing his good work of bringing peace and being peace in the midst of the storm. And I'd argue that that is one of the ways that Jesus is overcoming the world this very moment by you and by me, his peacemakers. There are a lot of bold claims out there in the world. Who are you going to believe? Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to entrust your life to? I'll knock him out in the first round. Buy this shampoo and you have a full head of hair. Read my lips, no new taxes. I will close Guantanamo Bay. Who are you going to trust? What bold claim can you trust? I'd argue that Jesus' bold claims are backed by action, that he is overcoming the world in his birth, in his life, in his miracles, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, in his sending of the Spirit, in his commissioning of the church to be peacemakers, and ultimately that day when he comes again. It's so certain that he describes it in the past. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. My friends, his bold claims match his actions, past present, and future. May his words, may his claim, bring you peace in the midst of the storms of your life. And may they empower you to bring peace and to be peace in the storms of those he sent you to. Take heart and have courage. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and confess our faith. The words of the Nicene Creed.